Um, we're in Habakkuk, and that's kind of a little strange little book to be studying, but yet when you study Habakkuk, you find out that the world he lived in was a mess. Kind of sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Because the world we live in is a mess. And so this morning, I want to really put my cards out on the table quickly so that you understand what, kind of where we're going. And there's a huge difference between being captivated by someone and being captivated by what someone can do. So this is the perfect time of year just to think about that because I've, as, as I've already shared with you, um, football season has hit and Lorinda's like, are you kidding me? Not this again. And you would think that after 36 years of marriage, she'd go like, hey, isn't this great? I get to have a lot of alone time now. But somehow that just doesn't quite hit the register. But So one of the things I've already seen is just this crazy thing that happens in football season. A guy's running down the field. They throw the pass way over his head. He can jump to the moon, and he catches it like this with one hand, and it's a bullet. And I'm like absolutely amazed at what that guy can do. I mean, it is phenomenal. One-handed catch comes down inbounds, and it's just the most, the most amazing thing that you would ever see. And the thing that blows my mind about it is that one-handed catch in the NFL happens time and time again. There are guys that just practice that. That's all they do. But if you were to start to wonder what made that kid, when he was younger, think about doing the things that he's doing, how he practiced catching the ball like that every time. And so you wonder if when he grew up, his dad was a bit of a football freak. And you wonder if maybe in, the, in his bedroom, when he was just a little kid in the crib, his mobile had footballs and helmets on it, <laughs> flashing around. And that's all he saw when he was in his crib. And then you wonder if his dad's God maybe wasn't football. And he, and he was going to enroll his kid early into that religion. And then you wonder about his mom. Is she really annoying in the stands? <laughs> Some of you moms know what I'm talking about. And you wonder if she screams at that pitch that only a mom can scream at. And their kids can hear. I mean, it's the most amazing thing. Your kids can hear your voice out there amongst the thousands that are screaming at them. They pick out your voice and they're very embarrassed by it, by the way. So, you start thinking about and dwelling on the kid opposed to what the kid can do. And like I said, I want to get my cards really out there quite quickly. And I think that as believers in Christ, the call to us is to do both, to both be captiva captivated by what our God can do, but also be captivated by who our God is. I think that we can excel at one, and I think we stink at the other one. And so um, the part that we excel at is a, a phrase that's coined by uh, a guy by the name of Matt Chandler, and I, I really like him. He's a, a good guy. Let's see if I spell this right. Okay. I'm going to cheat. 
Horizontal theology. And that's where we start to think about God on this kind of a level. We, we think of him in a way that we look at what he does, what he can do. I mean, the thing that really blows my mind, and I love it, but we haven't gotten very much of it this year, is the thunder and lightning storms that roll in. And when that lightning lights up the night sky and it spreads out across there, I think to myself, there isn't a person on this planet that can get away from that. When God decides to do what he's going to do and display his wonder, display his power, display his might, there isn't a thing that man can do. Matter of fact, if you're thinking right now about God's uh, uh, power and might, you think about what's happening in Florida in the next couple of days. There's this huge thing out there on the Atlantic Ocean that's making its way right towards Florida, and it's turning up winds 150 miles an hour, and it's a hurricane, and it's going to just dump all kinds of water and flood the place out, and it's going to happen. And guess what? There isn't anything man can do to stop God from doing what he's going to do. Now the question you have to ask yourself is why do Floridians still live there? Because it's not like it's not going to happen again next year. You've got to start thinking, hey, maybe God's trying to say something. Maybe he's trying to wash something out, clean things up. Okay, I'm just being a little bit you know, speculative on those kind of things. But, but what happens is, is that we've got this thing going on, this, this uh, horizontal theology and the problem is, is that what we need our horizontal theology to do, because what it is, is, is it's what we see God doing. We need our horizontal theology to flip and become vertical. Because vertically, what it's telling us is who God is. And I love the way that the psalmist said it in Psalm 42. He said, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, do you get that? Do you see what's happening here? Here's a guy who's looking out at nature, and he sees what God does. God creates these animals, and he puts in them a desire to go and find water. So if you have your holy imagination rolling along, you're looking at this deer who is going from from a known place to known place. This is where I found water in the spring. It's all dried up. So it goes over to where they found water in the early summer. It's all dried up. And now it's going to that one place where it knows there's always going to be water. But as this deer is making its way to find the water that brings life to it, its tongue is hanging out because it's so hot, it's so worn out, and it's panting for the water. It desires water at its deepest level, and it needs it. And as the psalmist is watching what God created, in his heart, he's saying, that's what I want to be like for you, oh God. I want to pant for you like this deer goes after water, because that water is life for this deer. If that deer doesn't get the water, it's going to die. I'm going to die if I don't get you, oh God. And that is a man who has 
dialed off of just the horizontal blessing that God has given him and now has turned it vertically and is saying, I've got to have this, there's this longing in my heart, this deep and powerful longing. And, and here's what we know, is that God's the one that dialed that longing into our hearts. In His mercy, in His mercy, He said, I want you to long for me. I want you to come after me. I want you to look for me. I, I love it because also in Psalm 63, again, this, uh, it says, Oh God, you are my God. Get this. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Being in the presence of God, being with God, knowing God's love is better than life itself. Not a lot of whole man or oh, amens on that one. We're going like, you amen that one because God can take you right now, boy. Listen, there's some guys out there that are really smart and they're old guys. There's new guys like Matt Chandler that writes books and John Ortberg and those kind of guys. And they write books and they're really good books and they're deep books and, and they have a lot of good stuff, but I wouldn't call them classics quite yet. You have to be dead for a couple hundred years before it becomes a classic. So let me share from one of the classic writers a couple hundred years ago or more. And his name is John Calvin. Now don't get, I know some of you are going like, John Calvin, isn't he that crazy Calvinist? Well, yeah, that's his name. I'm a crazy Simonist, okay? So, but what he has to say, because he talks a lot about Jesus. John does. And so here's what he says. Listen to this. It's, um, I, don't, I don't think it's on the screen. Christ has given to us by God's generosity to be grasped and possessed by us in faith. Partaking of him, we principally receive double grace. So I'm going to stop because I love this. I love, I love grace. Do you love grace? Do you know what grace means to me? Would you like one scoop or two scoops of ice cream? Load it up, baby. Give me two big ones. That's double grace right there. And, and I'm, I'm all for it. And that's what Calvin's going on to say here. By, bar, by partaking of Jesus, we receive this double grace. Namely, that being reconciled to God through Christ's blamelessness, we have in heaven, instead of a just judge, we have a gracious Father. Because of the righteousness of Christ, the cross uh, and resurrection of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus is imputed, given to us, so that we are seen blameless and spotless before God. By, not, by no act of our own, but by an act of God in Christ. And it's very important that you get this part right. This is really huge. So the first part is, is that... We have this understanding that we have this gracious Father who is with us. The second part is where I press on to you and want you to question your salvation. Really? 
you want me to question my salvation? Yeah. I had a, an elder in my last church, and, and he's, he, you know, sometimes people say a lot of things to you and you never pick up anything they say. But once in a while, somebody throws out a nugget to you that you hang on to for the rest of your life. And, and the little nugget that he dropped on me one day when I was having a pretty tough time is he said, remember this, where there is no struggle, there is no strength. So when you think about your salvation, struggling through, working it through in your mind, what, we want, what I want you to do is understand what you have in Jesus Christ. So in heaven, we don't have a wrathful judge. We have a gracious father. But the second part, secondly, is that sanctified by Christ's spirit, we may be cultivated blamelessly and pure in life by Jesus. Jesus and his blood, the, the death, resurrection of Jesus, is the thing that makes us stand before our holy and righteous God. And he looks at us and he no longer sees us as sinful wretched human beings, but he sees the righteousness and holiness of Jesus in us. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. He's the one that comes and brings that to us. And so it, the problem is, is that I, I think there are a lot of men and women who hear the message of grace and they go, oh yeah, I like grace. I like that grace thing. Because the way that they think about grace is that because of God's grace, now I can go out and if I live a life that is not pleasing to God, if I live a life that is contrary to God's word, if I don't really line up and believe and follow the things of God, that's okay. Because in the end, God has to forgive me. I'm going to tell you something right now. That if that's the way you think, if that's the way you act, and that's the way you live your life, and you say, because of grace, I can do whatever I want to, and God has to forgive me. I want you to hear me, and I want you to hear, and listen, some of you aren't going to like this, but it's the truth. If that's the way you view your life with Jesus, you are not saved. You do not understand grace. You do not understand what God has given to you. Now, am I asking you to live in a sinless perfection? Absolutely not. But the, the process is what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Jesus has set us free to pursue and become what we are in the sight of God. Blameless, holy, and perfect. Perfect in Christ. And I love the way that, that Calvin ordered it because he says there. Uh, that we are called blameless by the Father through Christ and then set free to pursue what we are in Christ. So it starts with a regenerated heart and that regenerated heart leads to a pursuit of blamelessness and, and a perfect pursuit of blamelessness, right? No, because you're going to make a mistake, you're going to sin, you're going to mess it up, you're going to stumble, you're going to fall and that's the whole point of the cross is that when we get messed up and when we go sideways and when we kind of make a real, you know, hogwash thing of the whole thing, we're like, what do we do now? It's, the, it's, it's like, I've, I'm, okay, if you're new with us, you're going to hear this a lot from me if you hang around. One of the greatest gifts that Jesus has given to the church is repentance. Because there is nothing better than to have a repentant 
heart God does not despise? Who can ascend the holy hill of God? Those have clean hands and a pure heart. In other those who have repented and come and confess their sin. Is, are we confessing our sin before God because we need to earn our way into good standing with God? No! We confess our sin to God because we want to have this relationship free-flowing where there's nothing hindering what's going on between me and God vertically. And that's where God wants us to go. There's this other guy, and I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not, but he's one of those other old, dead, smart guys. His name is John Owen, and he makes this vertical point and really hones in on it. Here's what he says. Oh, to behold the glory of Christ. Herein uh, would I live. Herein would I die. Herein would I dwell in my thoughts and my affections until all things below become unto me a dead and deformed thing. No way substable suitable, excuse me, no way suitable for the affections embrace. So here's what I want you to hear him say. He's, he's saying like, I want to know Jesus. I want to stare at Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus in such a way that everything that, that there is is pointing me towards more of Jesus. And anything that's not pointing me towards Jesus is dead and deformed thing. And I really think that I want to point out to you that he's not pointing out bad things, dark things, negative things. He's not saying that. He's saying, oh, that I might behold Christ so much. He's not saying that, oh, that, um, oh, that I might behold Christ so much that pornography becomes a dead and deformed thing. He's saying all things that don't point me to Christ. So my relationship to Lorinda, my beautiful wife, who's going to France with me, Tomorrow, we're leaving on a jet plane. Don't know if we're coming back again. <laughs> she pushes me and points me to Jesus just by living life together. My kids and my beautiful grandchildren, in that relationship, when I talk to them, I behold the wonder and glory of God, of Jesus Christ, in my, my kids' and my grandkids' lives. They are pointing me to the reality of who God is. And what that does is it turns my affections up towards God. When I look at my little kids and I'm, my grandkids, I, okay, let's just get this straight. Who cares about the kids? It's all about the grandkids. <laughs> you have kids to get to grandkids. That's the purpose, all right? Besides cleaning your house and mowing your lawn. So if you're a kid here today, just remember, you've got a job to do, but after you're married, let's make that straight. So it, 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 it creates in me this desire and this longing for more of Jesus. My kids, my grandkids, my wife, my friends, my church, the people I hang out with. Guess who else kind of points me to the reality of Jesus? People who don't like me. I know you're all shocked. There's people that don't like you. I know you're shocked, but there are a few. You can go find them. Anyway, so let's move along because we've got to get to Habakkuk because in Habakkuk 1, old Habakkuk, he was a mess. He had this whole thing kind of messed up, but now we're in chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up on verse 1, and here's what it says. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigab, 
I, you know, I, I practiced this word about a hundred times. Anyway, that dude. <laughs> o Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In, the, in wrath, remember mercy. Now, that's horizontal. Everything that Habakkuk's throwing out here right now is horizontal because he says, I heard of your works. I've heard of what you do. I have seen your acts. I see your wrath, but in your wrath, remember mercy. And, and we need to recap where Habakkuk has come from. Some of you are going, just picking it up. You're new here today, you're, or you're visiting, whatever. And so let me help you out, just give you a little bit of what's going on. So Habakkuk, he's got this complaint against God because Judah, the southern kingdom is acting wicked and evil towards God by worshiping idols. They've created these idols, and now they're worshiping them. And Habakkuk is crying out to God and goes, are you going to put up with this injustice? And God goes, you know, yeah, I'm going to do that. And he's like, how long are you going to put up with this, God? And he goes, you don't think I'm doing anything? Sit back, Habakkuk, because I'm about ready to do something. I'm about ready to discipline Judah by bringing in the wicked, evil Chaldeans, Babylonians. These are the most wicked, evil people ever. And they're going to come in, and they're going to discipline Judah. And now Habakkuk's out of his mind. He goes like, are you kidding me? How can you use those people to, to bring your, your discipline to, to these? You're using more wicked people to bring discipline to the wicked. And that just, you can't do that, God. And God's going like, wait a minute. I'm God, you're not. I can do whatever I want. And I'm going to show you how I'm going to do it. And, and, and poor Habakkuk, he thinks that, that it's not going to come fast enough. And so he tells Habakkuk, he says, if you think I'm going to be late, just check your calendar. Get it out because I'm coming at the fullness of time and my will will be done. Now, we've got God unpacking this and, and, and Habakkuk see, uh, sees how God operates. And God handles Habakkuk a lot more gently than he handled Job. You remember Job? Job had a complaint. Hey, Job had a real reason to complain to God. And, and uh, Pastor Matt started off this morning drawing our attention to who God is through what Job's kids said and did and all that took place at the beginning of that. And, and here's, here's what takes place is that Job doesn't just lose something. He loses everything. Every, he, all of his kids are killed in a tornado. The, house, the barn falls down, the house falls down on him, kills them all. All, their, all of his livestock are either killed, burnt up by lightning, or someone comes in and steals them. All of his servants are wiped out. Job is left with nothing except for the one thing he didn't need at that time. His wife. The women are laughing, and the men are being silent. Obviously silent. I want to say amen, but I better not. Because his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? That's no help. Man, I don't know if you've ever been there before where your wife has kind of given you some wisdom that wasn't really that helpful. But Job had it going on. And so what, he, what God says to Job is he says, hey, Dress for action like a man. In other words, strap on your shoulder pads and helmet because you and I, we're going to go toe-to-toe. That's God talking to Job. And Job's like, 
Okay, and so Job kind of gets a little bit beat up by God. And then you have Habakkuk, and God comes in and says, hey, put on your flip-flops, your shorts, put on your little tank top, get a little drink with an umbrella in it, sit in, this, in the shade, and we'll have this conversation, and I'll tell you how it's going to go. And we're like, it just doesn't make sense. But we're looking at it from the wrong, wrong place. And so what he was reminding Habakkuk about is he explains that there's a difference between wrath, what is coming for the Chaldeans, and discipline, what is coming for Judah, and that God disciplines those that he loves. A lot of us think of discipline as more of getting a spanking, getting in trouble and having you know, whatever brought to you, being put in the corner. But discipline is far more than punishment. It's a vision of the future that has work to do today. There's a shaping and molding about discipline that sometimes isn't because you've done something wrong, but it's there to keep you from straying into harm. And so you've got God unpacking to Habakkuk, here's what I do, here's how I'm working, this is what it's going to look like, and you've got Habakkuk here now asking, a, no longer asking a bunch of questions, no longer worried about what God's going to do. Now he's saying, as you do what you do, remember mercy. As you work that which you work, remember your people. Now let's look at verse 3 of chapter 3. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. Selah. Anybody ever wonder what that word selah means? Because you find it in, in um, Psalms all the time. Pause. Just pause and think about this for a minute, because this is pretty, pretty weighty things. And so even, even Habakkuk is saying, okay, Here's the splendor, here's the glory. Let's stop and think about what that looks like. And so it, it, it's, it's not just what he does that Habakkuk is aware of. It, now it's who he is. Your splendor covers. This is who you are. So now we've gone from this horizontal um, theology The vertical understanding of God. So we've got this horizontal thing that's going on, and we get to see what God is, who, what he looks like, what he does, and all the rest of this stuff. And then all of a sudden, there's something that takes place, and it takes place in the heart of Habakkuk, and it's all going, and now he's rejoicing. Because it's not just what he's heard what God does, or seen what God does, but now it is who God, who, it's who God is. And in the middle of all of this, there's this deep yearning, a deep longing in his heart for God. And I think that that longing is birthed out of two places for Habakkuk and can be birthed out of two places for us. The first one, number one, is the thing that God has spoken to Habakkuk. God answered Habakkuk when he cried out to God. He's, he's making this complaint and then all of a sudden God answers him. And just think about the scope of the universe, of everything that God has created. Out there, way out there, all the magnificent things God has done. And you've got this little itty-bitty guy over here 
in Judah who doesn't even know what's going on in the breadth of Judah, let alone understand this mighty, powerful earth that he's living on. He has no idea, no clue about any of that. And yet God comes along and he says, Habakkuk, I heard what you said, and now I'm going to talk to you. Boom! I don't know how often you have had God say something to you. I'm not saying an audible voice. It might have been. But there have been those times in my life where it has, it has been the full-on, as Fred said, the full-on manifestation of Jesus' presence in my life, and it made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Because I'm all of a sudden realizing I'm in the full presence of God and He's got a word for me. And that word always aligns with His word. And so here's Habakkuk. He gets this answer. And, and it's changing his, his life. And, and what he's saying to him is he's saying that not only am I going to come and I'm going to bring a little bit of discipline to, to Judah. But God reminds Habakkuk, you're my covenant people, and I made this promise with you, and I am going to lead you. Right now, I'm going to lead you into exile, and there I will purify you. My purpose will come to pass. The second reason there is a longing for God is that they, Judah, are getting caught up in the goodness of God. And it happens to us too. We get caught up in the goodness of God. And even if things don't work out the way we think they should, because life was not easy and not pleasant for Habakkuk. And the whole idea is that if you follow God, there's this thought out there, there's this thought process that people have that the whole idea is if you follow God, it's going to be the pan effect. It'll all pan out in the end. It's all going to be good. You're never going to get sick. You're never going to have to struggle in life. You're going to always have cash in your pocket. Everything's always going to go your way. And if you've read anything in the Bible anywhere, you know that that's not even close to being true. Because you think about Josiah, the king of, of uh, Judah, just before Habakkuk came along, and King Josiah is doing this immense reformation throughout the whole country. He is turning people away from the idols of his father and he is turning their hearts towards God. They find the scroll as they're cleaning up the temple and the, the, the priest pulls out the word of God. He brings in all of Judah, millions of people, into the temple area. They read the word of God. They fall on their face in repentance before God and God is changing the whole nation to become a godly nation. And then this godly king, he goes to battle with his men and he is killed. And then his two moron sons take the throne and they take Judah and throw it into the swirling eddy. Do you know what the swirling eddy is? That's the part of the toilet that goes like this before it heads off to the septic tank. And that's where Judah is in the swirling eddy, heading off to the septic tank. And yet, Habakkuk is looking at all of this, 
And he is saying, I know we're going to be invaded by this godly, horrific, violent, oppressive people called the Chaldeans. They're going to overrun us. They're going to drag us into captivity. And this is the truth about life. Sometimes it just plain old punches you in the gut and hurts. And Habakkuk now, he's between the splendor and glory of a God who has not abandoned his people. And the weight of the fallen world, Habakkuk wants and longs for God. In the middle of all this crisis that's going on, his heart affections have gone from horizontal now to vertical. He wants, he wants to know who God is. And so listen to this, read along with it on the, on the screen. It's from, a, from the heart of A.W. Tozer, a man who longs for God. Here's what he says. I want deliberately to encourage this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us to our present lowest state. The stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. Here it is. Catch this line. He waits, that's Jesus, waits to be wanted. Jesus is waiting for you to want him. Now, there are some things that have always bothered me about being a pastor. And it's not about the ungodly. It's about those who walk in and hang out in the four walls of the church and call themselves Christ followers or, you know, evangelicalism as, as on the whole. And the first one that really has bothered me for a long time is, and it bothers me because I feel partly responsible for it, to be honest with you. The first one is the rampant, biblical illiteracy within the four walls of the church. It's insane to me how little church people know about Scripture. People will often quote Benjamin Franklin or Martin Luther King Jr. and think they're quoting the Bible or Jesus. Like, for instance, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. That's what Jesus always said. No. No, he didn't say that. That was actually Ben that said that. Well, then he definitely said, I have a dream. No, that wasn't Jesus either. That was Martin Luther King Jr. And, and what we have is that we as people, um, we are so easily swayed to think wrongly about the nature and character of God because we don't know the Bible. So people say stuff all the time about God that is grossly offensive to the nature and character of God. It's not offensive to us as human beings. We eat it up. It sounds right to us. It sounds great. We like to even quote those things and we write it down and we put it on little plaques in our home. And how does it end? Everybody dies. So that kind of bothers me. I mean, how many of you have ever had somebody come to, come to you and say, listen, God will never give you more than what you can handle. Have you heard that before? 
That's bull butter. Hogwash. Because God often gives us stuff that we can't handle because He wants us to come to Him and be dependent upon Him. So, listen, if you've got something you can't handle, don't go, well, well, you know, this is really bad. No, this is a perfect opportunity for you to say to God, hey, I can't do this. you got to do it for me. And he's going like, it's about time you saw that. Okay? Um, the second thing that really bothers me, and this is where I think, you know, you think, I'm going to say we need to talk about this, and you're going like, wait a minute. You've been talking a long time already. I'll try and make it short. There's this type of yearning, longing, for more of the inexhaustible well of Jesus. And and it's such a rare thing that when we come across it, it seems kind of weird and foreign and strange to us. And how did it happen that church folks get all weirded out by people who are really pursuing Jesus Christ? We want our Bible studies, we want our knowledge, we want our church services, and we like all that stuff. But somebody who is truly desiring a deep relationship with Jesus, we just kind of think of them kind of in a weird way, and we file them under the file that says weirdo. Don't we just do that to people that are really passionate about Jesus? We go, man, that guy is so weird. He makes our church look weird. I don't know. Well, let me tell you about some of the weirdos in our church that are passionate about Jesus. Fred and Mary Moore. Dick and Mary over here. And then we have Cheryl and Julie and Linda and Jenny and and Shirley. All those weirdos are part of this church and they love Jesus passionately. And I'm telling you right now, if you're not a weirdo, go hang out with them. They'll make you one. Get in with it. Because guess what we need? We need more weirdos. We have a sign-up sheet in the back for weirdos. We have a step, 12-step program for them too. So, You know, here's, here's where I, I want us to get this really straight. Because a lot of times what happens, I'm going to try and wrap this up. I've got a few more pages here, but I've, you know, I've got to go to France. <laughs> Uh, Did I tell you I'm going to France? (laughs) So, let me just just see if I I can cut really, bring this down a little bit to help you out. Because one of the things that I believe that really happens in our lives is we, we've got this thing, I'll tell you who I'm most fearful for in the church. It's not the people that are going like, I'm really messed up and I need a lot of help. Because when those people come along, I go like, all right. That guy named Jesus, he's the one that's going to help you. The people I'm most afraid of or fearful for are the people that can, that they, they've got it all put together. They've got their stuff all lined up. It looks really good. They're the ones that get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and they read his utmost, my utmost for his highest. That's, that's this deep devotional book, if you've never read it before. It, it, it's amazing. And then they spend, you know, an hour in Scripture reading about it and writing about it and journaling about the Bible. And then they, they go and they get their prayer journal and they journal their prayers out. 
and then they get up and they walk through their day and they're, they're, they've got this whole thing going on where they're living with God and, and everything is right. And, and here's the thing, is that God isn't, doesn't have a problem with you when you're at your worst. He has a problem with you when you're at your best. Because when you're at your best, what you're saying is, I really don't need you to do this. Look what I can do on my own. I can, I've got the discipline to do it. I can follow the law. I can be obedient to Jesus. And I really don't need you, God, to help me do this. I can do it all on my own. I'm afraid for you. Because you can walk through life and you will just have the horizontal the whole time. And you will develop your own vertical and it won't be going to the throne room of God. And so what I want you to have is, is, and I want you to see is that there's this misunderstanding of the gospel as it relates to what is in your life. Because it all boils around this. If the cross is anything, it's a scream to the universe that God knew about what was going on with you at that very moment. That's why we're able to boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. It's because of the cross. It's why we can come to the place where we run into the throne room of God and we can cry out the simplest prayer ever that God ever hears is, Help me! It's the, it's the, it's the prayer of Peter as he's sinking in water and going to drown and he looks to Jesus and says, Save me! And he reaches down his hand and, and rescues him. And it's because of the cross that that's all available to us. And, and I love what, what God told Ezekiel because it came to fruition through the cross. And here's what he said to Ezekiel. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Why? Because only Jesus can do that by going to the cross. That's what creates this longing, this long desire to, to be after God. I'm going to go right through some of this stuff. I mean, I'm just going to skip over it. Because here, when, when you want to know Jesus deeper, when you want to know God in a greater way, you need to understand that God will bring something to your life, and guess what you're going to call it? It's what, what um, Paul called it, a thorn in the flesh. We've all got him. We've all got them. It can be a bad relationship. It can be a health issue. It can be a financial thing. It could be just a, a, a dry time in your life, spiritually thinking. And, and here's what Martin Luther said. He said, He who God would use mightily, he wounds deeply. Have you been wounded? Have you been hurt? Have you been in pain? You know what the good news is? God's getting ready to use you. Here's the thing that I think uh, is also going on with us. We have a lot of really good stuff in our lives. I mean, listen, God has blessed us in, in mighty ways, but sometimes what happens is we let the good stuff overrule our life. And so what we've got, we go, is this is really good. But I'm going to tell you what you've got that is really good. Listen to this. Jesus is better. If you don't get anything out of today, when you walk out of the doors, you just walk out with this thought in your mind. Regardless of what I have in my life right now, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than your wife. Jesus is better than your husband. Jesus is better than your kids. Jesus is better than your relationships. Jesus is better than 
your grandkids, Jesus is better than France. Jesus is better. And so we have this longing, this desire in our heart to just go and be with God. And so we've got this whole biblical narrative of men and women who are saying that Jesus is better. That's not horizontal, that's vertical. And here's the way Jesus said he's better. This is how we get better with Jesus. He said in Matthew, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be... Say it again. You will be satisfied. All right. I'm going to share this last piece of passage of Scripture with you because this is so important for for your understanding of what it means to bring bring that, that longing, that desire, that hunger, that yearning for God. Because you've got to ask yourself, what's the great reward if I go down the path? Because guess what? We're about this kind of people. What's in it for me? Just the sheer fact that you get to be with Jesus should be enough because Jesus is better. But let me tell you what the psalmist says is in it for you. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. What is the law of the Lord, the word of God do? It is reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, here it is, moreover, by them your servant uh, warned, is your, is your servant warned, in keeping them, there is great reward. Your reward, your reward is that Jesus is better. Right? So here's what we have. We have the horizontal theology, we have the vertical theology, and in the end, Jesus is better. Father, I would ask that you would do what I cannot. I pray that you would move powerfully among us in this moment where our souls are dry, where the ground is brittle. Send the rain. Will you comfort us in this moment? lovingly inflict upon us the ability to see you as you see us. And in the middle of that breaking, would you make it sweet by lavishing your grace upon us so we may be captivated by what you do, but this morning, maybe even for the first time for some of us, we'd be captivated more by who you are. Would you bring restoration to our hearts, to our souls, You're the only one who can. So where we have idols, would you destroy them this morning? Where we're afraid, help us to not live in fear, but to live in your perfect love. Will you enable us to have deeper affections towards you? Will you stir 
stir up our hearts, our minds towards you. We don't want to just be part of what's going on. We want to deeply, lovingly, longing, have deeper affection for you. I want to thank you, Jesus, that you're waiting for us to want you. You are not going anywhere. So whether it takes 30 seconds or 30 days or 30 months, you're waiting. But stir it up in our hearts. We don't want to make a wreck of our life. We want to embrace the grace and mercy that you've given to us. And so we ask that you would do all these things for us. By your great name, Jesus, amen.